Factor Podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? This is the 54th episode of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. Today is going to be a bit different. Instead of listening to me ramble, which I know you all look forward to so much, you're going to get to listen to me talk to Paul Carcaterra. I did a phone interview with P. Carc on Tuesday. He was gracious enough to slum it and come talk to the, a peasant like myself. So we're going to talk about culture shock and what it's like coming from downstate and playing lacrosse in upstate New York with a bunch of rednecks like the Powells. We'll talk about about a bunch of college lacrosse stuff. We'll pick on his better thirds, Anish Shroff and uh, Quint Kesnick as part of the, the greatest broadcasting team that has ever lived in the sport of lacrosse, maybe forever. So I, I can't thank him enough for taking the time to, to chat with me. It's about 35 minutes. I'll include a couple of video clips of relaxing with Peacock as we talk about that as part of the discussion, but enjoy it. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, share with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you can share this video. And if you want to get some swag, go to laxfactor.com. But I digress. Let's get into my conversation with Mr. Paul Carcaterra, Peacock himself. So one, one thing that I've been dying to ask you and other guys that aren't from the upstate area specifically is you're a Yorktown guy. So I did an interview, my first podcast, and it was terrible because I was terrible with uh, Joe Yavoli, who I'm sure you know. And yeah. one of the things that he had said, he was talking to uh, a couple of guys actually over time have said that uh, it's odd and that when they come from their areas where they just assume everybody's the same and they get to upstate New York, they realize, holy crap, upstate New York guys are strange. I've heard strange, weird, a different breed, rednecks. Uh, Rob Pinnell uh, specifically was one of the people that you've only had talked to. So in your experience, you played with both Powell brothers who I, I know to have a little bit of redneck and, and upstate New York strangeness in them. So what was that like coming from Yorktown, heading up to upstate New York and playing with a bunch of us, us goons from up here? <laughs> well, you know, I, I kind of fit in both categories because the Long Island guys always think of Yorktown as upstate. We're in Westchester County, 45 miles north of New York City. So Long Island people consider us upstate folks. And then real upstate New York people from central New York or whether it's Carthage and Watertown and that area where the Powells are from, they consider us downstate. But we're certainly downstate because what we had all those years at Syracuse, uh, Coach Simmons used to do an upstate downstate scrimmage. So anyone who's downstate New York would uh, would play together as the Long Island and Westchester guys and then as upstate uh, was certainly obviously the uh, the Central New York folks and Western New York, the Rochester kids, and basically those scrimmages were um, held on practice grounds. Um, it was a great type of atmosphere too, because you, you took pride in where you were from. So it was upstate against the world, they actually called it. But I was on the world team, and and that was considered downstate also. So um, look, I, I always think of upstate people as the salt of the earth. I mean. They're very inviting. They're easygoing people. Um, they're wonderful to be around. A lot of times you gather around food. I love food. Um, food in Syracuse, New York, I think is highly underrated. There's a lot of great restaurants up there and great food. Um, the tailgates that we had all my years at Syracuse were wonderful. Um, yeah, I used to rip on Casey. I lived with him for a few years and would make fun of him that he, uh, you know, grew up in a town with one or two stoplights and nothing going on up there. 
but the family atmosphere and the communal overall vibe that those people from upstate have, it's fascinating. And I, and I love it. I'm going up there in a couple of weeks to call a college football game. I'll make sure that I get in there early so I can spend some time with the current team and watch them practice. Um, and I just, I just love being up there. I have my few go-to restaurants and, um, I just, I just love it. What are your, what are your go-to eateries? I love this Italian place in Liverpool, uh, called Sant'Angelo's. I don't know if you've ever been, but the Utica greens there are amazing. I love, I love that place. I hit it every single time I'm there. Have you ever been to a place called Coleman's? Oh yes, of course. Isn't that on, uh, the, isn't that on the North side or? Where's yeah, it's that? up on is the hill near, in like Tipperary Hill. Yeah, near or, West Jenny, right? Over yep. near West Jenny, kind of? Yeah, yeah, yep. I've been to Coleman. I forget that they have yeah. that famous dish. It's like some kind of roast beef dish with blue cheese smothered all over the top of it. That's yeah, it's damn look, delicious. I'm a foodie, man. I love food. I'm, I'm, I'm my, uh, my father's son, and he's the same way. So once the uh, current meal is over, I'm thinking what I'm eating next, man. I, I love food, and, and one of the perks of what I do and travel is I – to try to find interesting places and, uh, you know, get after it. There's no shortage of that, especially in all the cities that you get to hit. So stupid question. And, uh, There's never regarding a stupid question. Never uh, this a may, stupid question. this may be relaxing. I was told that as a young kid, though. I was told as a young kid, I asked a lot of questions when I was a kid and the smart, older people would always say, there's no such thing as a stupid question. So my entire family told me that they were stupid questions all the time. And now I have a son who's inherited my nonstop yapping and he, he does the same thing. I can just see him doing the same things that I've done when I was a kid. And I encourage his, his annoying questions that he bombards me with nonstop while watching movies. Um, so relaxing with Peacock, how I I've watched that for a while now, since you've been doing it. And how do you end up coming up with the idea? A, to just ride around with cars with kids and shoot the shit. But B, how do you end up convincing a college kid in the prime of his life to let you put your hands on his hair? Like, how does it come to be that you you're now cutting kids hair and uh, interviewing them? Because that, that was just funny. And it was just a different way to see that whole interview. So whose idea is that? How does that, how does that develop? My idea, you know, I started doing the, the ride alongs just because I felt it would be a cool way to, to get a college lacrosse player or a coach in the same place as I was. And, you know, just, just, there's more of a, of a natural conversation when you're driving around and you're asking them to, to bring you to certain places on campus and the formal one-on-one interview with all the lights um, and sitting across from the subject can be a little intimidating for some of these um college lacrosse athletes who, who don't really deal with the media on a, on a higher level, um, at least from like a repetition standpoint. So like I, I came up with that idea just because I wanted to have a more of a relaxed vibe, hence relaxing, uh, and, and just get to know the person and, and be very conversational with them. As time progressed, I did that for a couple of years. I started seeing more and more of these ride-alongs and, you know, they're great content. But for me, is I've always wanted to be unique and different, and I've always felt like it's important to tell stories in sports. It's something that I love doing, whether I'm covering college lacrosse or college football. I want to tell stories. So the haircutting was was kind of a natural progression. I started cutting hair when I was like fifth grade. Um, I grew up in Yorktown, New York, blue collar town. Um, people weren't too fussy about getting their hair cut. 
I really started learning how to do it. I watched, uh, I watched all the barbers who used to cut my hair in regards to what they would do. Um, I kind of just self-taught myself when I was really young, when I was in college, I used to cut all the guys hair. Uh, a lot of my teammates, my friends, uh, I mean, I, I cut my son's hair every single time. He never goes to a barber. I cut my siblings when they're around, obviously as we've gotten older and we have our own lives, it's hard. I cut my dentist's hair in town and, you know, my <laughs> dentist has a, has a great practice in Ridgefield, Connecticut. He's not going to let some hack cut his hair. I really know what I'm doing. Like I really know how to cut hair. So I just felt like, you know, this is a, a great kind of segue to the next, uh, version of relaxing. And, the first couple times I mentioned it to people, they had no clue. And this is before I even went on air. So like, you know, you can a couple of these episodes before they're even live and you have to convince them, you know, the people, Hey, I'm coming out here. I'm going to cut your hair. And, you know, Brian Holman from Utah was, was one of the first, the head coach there, Casey Rose, who is a extreme skier, one of the best skiers in the, in, in the country growing up is a midfielder or was a midfielder, just graduated from Rutgers. I know him because I'm, I'm an avid snowboarder and we've met out in Utah and, and hit the slopes together. He was one of the first people to, to kind of have a leap of faith. And I explained to him and I'd known him long enough. I'd known Brian Holman. So like once the first couple um, pieces came to life and were on air, I mean, everyone's down with it, man. Who doesn't want a free haircut uh, and, and also get some exposure for their program. So I've, I've cut Dave Petromal's hair. I've cut Andy Shea's hair. I've cut Kevin Corgan's hair. These are all, you know, top 10 division one coaches and any kids going to let me cut their hair. So um, I, I, I love doing it. I'm going to do season two this coming year. And, and I think it'll be fun. And that was going to segue into the next question was, uh, do you already know, and are you allowed to say who you're looking into to talking to this upcoming spring? Sure. Yeah. I've given it some thought, you know, um, one cute guy that I, I want to get with in, in, in one way, shape or form is, is Tucker Dordovic. I think he's got a great story. I really like the kid. I've, um, have a growing relationship with him. He had a sit out last year. I think he might be the best player on the Syracuse team. Definitely want to get after him. Uh, at some point in time, I'd love to cut Bill Tierney's hair if schedules permit, you know, he's just a legendary coach has the most national championships, um, in division one lacrosse history with seven. Uh, so if I got to Denver, I'd like to do him. Um, you know, I did grant Ament from Penn state, who was a, a first team all American. Uh, maybe getting another Penn State guy because I think they're going to be really good. I'm bullish on them. They'll probably be preseason number one. Uh, Mac O'Keefe. And then I mean, he could yeah, use yeah, a haircut because, I mean, that kid, he's yeah, the, yeah. by far the best off-ball. And it's weird because he doesn't look like an off-ball attackman when you watch tape. But just to see yeah. what he does off-ball to make Amen's life so easy, it's it's just I've never seen a player that's able to just get that open to the point that you're always scratching your head thinking how the hell did the defense just leave O'Keefe of all people alone? And it's rarely ever them just leaving him alone. It's him sneaking, running off curls, yeah, getting sly on the backside. Move. Yeah, he's great like that. And, uh, you know, they both make their lives easier. I mean, Grant's a righty feeder. He throws about as good of a through pass as anyone I've seen in a long time in college across. And Mac's uh, a lefty sniper too. So they, they, they play off each other really well. I think going down to Maryland too, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind cutting – Bubba Fairman's hair. I think he's a character, that kid. So I might go after him. 
just the name alone the name alone warrants a, a haircut yeah. and a visit I, i'm a, that's another weird thing i was going to ask is since i'm a syracuse fan and i grew up my whole life a diehard syracuse fan i despised hopkins virginia anybody that ever got in syracuse's way so as i started doing this podcast about two years ago now i start to cover and watch all sorts of lacrosse last year i watched 100 plus games uh and i find myself as much as i don't want to admit it out loud enjoying and becoming a fan of hopkins and duke and virginia heaven forbid virginia this past season even so as a broadcaster how long did it take for you to to give up and maybe this wasn't as big of a deal for you because you got out of the college game and you played some pro and you've been all over the place mingling with the guys that you did battle against but how long did it take as a broadcaster to stop feeling guilty about becoming fans of teams like hopkins because i'm sure it's 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 unavoidable once you start getting close to these programs and you're just watching them play at a high level all the time. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think for me, when I left Syracuse, I had a little bit different of a, of a scenario. My brother, Brian was a goalie at Johns Hopkins. Um, when I was a senior, he was a freshman. So I got to watch him play for the next three years. And I went down to almost every single game. I mean, it's my younger brother. So I was rooting for him every single week. So once I left Syracuse in 97, 1998, he was a sophomore. It was his second year starting. He was a first-team All-American and National Goalie of the Year. One of the best goalies in John Hopkins history. I think he's second all-time in saves. So I got to watch his last three years as a starting goalie. And I went to almost every single weekend game rooting for them because it's my brother. So I think what happened was, obviously, I was still rooting for Syracuse and and wanted them to do really well. But I think I was kind of thrown in the fire of, of, of kind of understanding that there was other lacrosse outside of Syracuse. And that's not to say I don't, I don't root for Syracuse. I always want to see them do great. And I want to see them win national championships. But um, as time goes on, you want to see the sport grow too. I mean, when, when Syracuse went to 22 straight final fours, I was a part of four of them. It, it was an amazing feat, but for the sport to really grow, I mean, is it really healthy for, for one team to, to make 22 straight final fours. And that's why you don't see that anymore. And you're not going to, because there's just too many good teams out there. And, you know, Loyola in 2012, they were able to win a national title. Denver in 2015, um, Yale won it in, in 2018. So you're able to understand that the game is growing. And if you're a fan of the sport, you want to see great lacrosse. You want to see it in more than just, you know, five to six to seven schools you want you know 20 schools to have a chance before the season starts i mean penn state i think was preseason number 11 i was always bullish on them and i tweeted in the beginning of season in february i thought they'd make the final four because they had so many key ingredients to to be successful but that's not really too far off now you you see these preseason teams that you know were under the radar they were making runs at national championships so it's good for the sport i mean i'll always root for syracuse they gave me a chance and gave me an, an unbelievable um, opportunity. And I fell in love with the game even more when I got to Syracuse. As much as I loved it as a kid, playing for Coach Simmons was, was the greatest lacrosse experience of my life. So I'm, I'm indebted to the program and I love it. But I'm certainly um, conscious of the fact that there's so much more lacrosse out there. And, and if you want the game to grow as a whole, you, you got to be a fan of the game. I begrudgingly agree. I, I agree, but I agree the same way that my son would say that he agrees with me when he knows that he's done something wrong and he doesn't want to admit it, but he has no choice but to admit it. Because I do hate the fact that we haven't got to see Syracuse get back 
to a final four in forever. I think the the last time was what, 2009 uh, when they lost against Duke or 2011 or something like that. It was close. 2000, uh, 2013. Yeah. That's the, only, that's the only final four they've, they've made in the last decade. So, you yeah, know, they that's... won it in 08 and 09. They were bounced in 10 and 11 and 12. And then they, they, they made it to a, a national championship game in 2013, but that's, that's the only final four in the last 10 years. And, you know, it, it is a tough pill to swallow. And as much as there's been parity, I think the standard still should be for Syracuse to to make Final Fours. I'm not saying every single year, but they, they should be making, you know, one out of three or one out of four. I mean, Maryland went to seven straight. You know, Duke went seven of ten. There's no reason Syracuse shouldn't be there more than they are. I mean, that's just, that's just my feeling. I mean, they have a, a huge budget. I think it's been reported that they spend more on college across than any school in the country. At least a couple of years they, ago they did. So the expectations are there, and, and the fans should should have those those feelings that they're upset when they're not there or they're there once in ten years. I mean, the standard is higher than that. And and I agree. And for the the crowd that's called that's called for Desco's head, especially the last three or four years, I've always said, "But hold up, yes, we haven't got back to the Final Four, but." during the regular season, they've to a degree have had that similar dominance uh, through the regular season, both in the ACC play since the ACC has been a thing. They were the one in the two seed, uh, you know, twice respectively over the last five years. So it's not like they haven't had ridiculously successful regular seasons. It's just not translated to winning in the playoffs for, for whatever reason, they've just, they just can't get past that, that second round, which has been painful. Um, yeah, no, you're a hundred percent correct. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with like, uh, there's a couple things. Um, I think the recruiting hasn't been as good as it's been. And, you know, they just made some changes in the staff and they hired a guy from the outside and Pat March, who's known to be a really good recruiter. And I'm hearing some great things early on about him. Uh, recruiting equals players equals depth. Uh, and you want that depth in May. And, and I think another reason is you look at all the championship teams and those teams that made it to the final fours we always had a guy on attack who demanded the ball and had a huge presence in the offense and was like a national leader as well I mean you can go from the first national title in 83 to Tim Nelson to the 88 89 90 reign even though it was the gates you still had guys like John Zilberti and Tom Marichek and Greg Burns who were all first team all-americans meaning one of the top three players at the position in the sport and then you go to 93 championship, you had Matt Ryder. In 95, you had Casey Powell. In 2000, you had Ryan Powell. 2002 and four, you had Mikey Powell. 08 and 09, you had Mike Lavelle and Kenny Nim. So there was always that like marquee and the common denominator are all these guys. They were all first team All-Americans. And when you have a first team All-American, one of the best players at his position in the sport, a top three player at that position, you demand notoriety you demand the ball you demand respect within your locker room and against your opponents and it's just that vibe of knowing you have that guy and to be honest with you you know since since 2015 when when Kevin Rice graduated and he made it to the final four as a sophomore really haven't had that like marquee attackman the guy that just changes everything that, and, and that's what I've said. And, and that actually perfectly leads me into my next question. As a fan, 
the most of the fans are pretty excited this year about having a number 22 back on the field. And we were all fairly upset at not having a 22 on the field. So you played with two famous 22s, albeit Casey only, you know, was the only one that wore it while you were in school and Ryan picked it up after you guys graduated. So even like as an, as an alum, do you guys give a crap about the 22 being back on the field and even more a kid that has he's uh, Scanlon he's got he's the first kid that has a chance at being a four-time all-american and now he'll get to wear number 22 uh three you know hopefully here these next three years so does that actually warm your guys's heart to see a, a guy as high profile as him that's really has a really good chance of being a four-time all-american wearing that number and kind of bringing it back to its glory and possibly being like you said the guy on the field. I watched him play this weekend and he looked good as did Dordovic, but what's it mean to the alum to have 22 back? Yeah, I don't want to speak for everyone else, but for me, I don't really care. I mean, I think, I think the expectations and the pressure that that number has given, I look at what, you know, Jordan Evans, I mean, that, that poor kid was a nice player. You know, he wasn't one of the top players in the country. I mean, he did come in as a monster recruit, but he had to listen to that 22 noise for, for four years. And, you know, unfair expectations. Yeah, he asked for the number. He was cool with getting it. So you could you could argue it takes two to tango. But I, I just I don't know. I'm not I'm not really feeling it with the number, to be honest with you. I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. My my personal preference would be to give it to the, the proven best player on the team every year. You know, if it's a junior or senior, a guy that you know can handle it, a guy who's had success, a guy that you know, is, is, is not going to wilt if he's given that number. I, I don't really love giving it to freshmen, um, especially in today's day and age with social media and, you know, and all the noise that it creates. I just think it's, it's kind of crazy, you know, just, just let the kids play. I mean, Scanlon wanted the number, you know, Chase Scanlon's a really good player, but he's, he's different than a lot of these other guys. I mean, he's a phenomenal step down shooter. If the expectation for, Chase Scanlon is to dominate one-on-one matchups against the best defenders in the country. I don't think that's realistic. I think he's a great step-down shooter. I don't think he's the the best dodger on the team. I think Curry and I think Dordovic both dodge better than him and create their own offense. I think Chase Scanlon's, like I said, a great shooter. Um, But if the expectations are for him to grab the bull by the horns and, and run the offense, day one at Syracuse, I think people are are, are going to be in for some disappointment. And, and I don't say that like that his game is dialed in. It's just the way that he plays. Like when I think of a 22, I think of like, give me the ball in overtime. Everyone get out of my way. Right. Mike like, Powell. Style. This is my team. Mike Powell, Casey Powell, right. Gary Gates, Chase Scanlon's a, a really good step down shooter and can create awful quick ball movement, but he's not the type of guy that like is going to, to take it to the best defenders in the country week in and week out. And people that listen to this might say, you know, after the season, Hey, he had 40 goals again. You were wrong. No, no, you can score goals in different ways. I'm just saying that like a big time 22 player is normally a guy who creates all the offense, right? It's not like you're, it's, it's not a three point shooter in basketball, right? It's, it's the guy that like dribbles and, and dominates one-on-one matchups off the dribble right and to yep. me i think like curry and dordovic are, are are number one and number two in any order and i i think scanlon is probably the third option on the team hey i would agree and and i got a, we got a good look at it this weekend up at Cortland, and uh they went with rafis and cook 
on the field with him running beside Scanlon. And it's just like you said, he played a lot more off ball and at X than he did ever trying to dodge to the cage. And they primarily had Rafis um, and, and Cook dodging to the cage. So it was actually a very good complementary attack unit. It looked like having those guys out there. And I agree, the shooters out top, the, the, that first midfield line, because they ran Dordovic, Curry, and um, Tromboli all together again, and they looked deadly. And that's, you know, you're going to find scenarios where you may even see a 22 getting short-sticked because, like you said, he's out of those six players on the field when that first midfield line's uh, on the field, he's the least um, accomplished Dodger overall. So there were there were scenarios That'd even in the scrimmage. Point. Yeah, I would agree. I and would he agree. ended up with some 100%. shorties. I, I have video of the scrimmage this weekend where he had a shorty in the fourth quarter at X and just wrapped him right around and scored. So uh, I, I think that we will see that. But I am excited just to have the number and a high-profile kid uh, wearing it. Now – We'll jump into something weird that we'll do here. It's a who you got. So picture you're on a playground. You're about, let's say men's pickup. It's, you know, you just a bunch of guys show up to play some lacrosse and you've got, you got to pick the teams here. So you're faced with these two guys. You've got the first pick. So right off, just off your hip. Who do you take in these scenarios? Casey Powell, Ryan Powell. Casey Powell. Easy. Could do more. People don't realize Casey Moved to midfield his sophomore year and, and was the a midfielder of the year. Of the year. Yeah, yeah crazy. so you know I'm going to get a guy who can play on the wings. Like he's a, he's a chameleon, so that's easy for me. No disrespect to Ryan, but that's easy. That's why I'm making you do it though, because it'll it's putting you on the spot. It's going to make weirdness next time you see these guys. Hopefully, I don't uh, care. I could care. I'll say it right to them. <laughs> they're they're not they're not going to hear this most likely. Casey Powell, Mike Powell. Ooh, I got to go with Mike Powell. He's the best attackman I've ever seen. I, I I put him at the best player I've ever seen with Lyle Thompson a close second, but you can't front on four uh, attackmen of the year and two Twartons and four no, first team all Americans. It's just crazy. Best attackman I've ever seen. Yeah. Current guys: Brian Costabile or Doc Aiken. Ooh, that's a good one. Hmm. You know what? <sighs> I'm going to go with Costabile. I think he's a little more versatile. I mean, this is a kid who could play on the wings. And, you know, Docs can too. I just think neither of them are great passers. They're, they're, they're very similar in the six-on-six set. I mean, they could dominate one-on-one matchups. They have hammers of a shot. It's kind of splitting hairs. I mean, when you ask me questions like this, a lot of times I can pick one guy over the other because – the one player has a certain element to his game that might be different. Although stylistically they look different in terms of the way they cradle and they dodge, they, they do a lot of the same stuff. Um, but I'd probably slightly go with Castadio. That's I'd go with Aiken. What I wanted to do was say, no, nope, that's the wrong answer, but that, that's not even funny. It's that, that one is literally a throw, throw away. Why would you uh, go with Aiken? I, to be honest, he looks a little cooler. Like just the way he yeah. carries a stick, the way he, he I like the way he too. plays. I like him. And he, I just like kind of like his toot a little bit more. But Costabile's one of the best step down shooters in the games, has an absolute cannon. So you could go either way. But I, th- yeah, I like that one because that one too. was impossible to decide between. I Another like impossible one. They're good kids. Michael Sowers or Grant Amet? Oof. Can I ask you who my other players are? There are none. It's just these two. There are none. 
I was going to wow. throw T in and make you pick out of a couple of them, but I figured that because of all the attention AMAC gets, and I felt I feel like the last year, especially Sowers, was kind of forgotten, whereas Sowers is yeah. easily one of the best three to five attackmen in the country in 2019. Okay, and- so so yeah, this is this is what it comes down to. If you don't have other players around you in terms of a high level, you want Michael Sowers because he can get to the rack maybe better than, not maybe, he gets to the rack better than any player in college lacrosse. And he's lightning quick. And he also is a 50-50 guy where he's he's totally dual threat, great passer. Yep. Amen has turned into more of a passer. I mean, if you have great shooters, that's the guy that you want. Amen is a better passer. Sowers is a better dodger. I think Sowers combination-wise might do a little bit more in terms of like hitting both. Not to say Amen can't dodge, um, but if you had shooters and a crease guy, you want Amen. If you have no one else, I mean, you want Sowers. That kid, I mean, what he's done at Princeton, he owns the the scoring record, and he's got a full another year. He owns it already. I mean, and it didn't even take him that long into his junior season. He's he's incredible. It's it's a shame that you know the, the country hasn't seen him on a big stage uh, because he's he's one of the great talents. I mean, I, I think Michael Sowers and this group, this 2020 um, group is, is phenomenal. I mean, you look at the guys going out to play professional lacrosse. This is, this is the year you want a lot of draft picks. It'll be interesting to, to see how many of these guys um, and like how the draft goes, you know, where AMAC goes compared to Sowers and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think, I mean, I would go with AMAC, um based on, you know, in the PLL, I know the archers have the, the first pick. And, and the reason being is I think Amen complements Will Manny and Marcus Holman really, really well, because Marcus Holman's a righty wing shooter and, and Manny's a lefty wing shooter. And, and Amen throws that through pass as well as anyone. Yep. All right. Now we'll move away from players. You need a ride to the airport, Anish or Quint? Uh, <laughs> good one. Um, Depends what kind of mood Quentin, so I'm going to be safe and just go with the niche. You're stranded on an island, and you have you're stuck with one of them for an extended period of time. A niche or Quint? Well, stranded on an island, I'd <laughs> I'd probably take them both on a boat and throw them overboard. Throw um, them both. Well, okay, that's a good question. I I would take Quint there, and I'll tell you why. A niche doesn't even know how to swim, so if anything bad happened, we'd be you know, we'd be in bad, bad shape. And uh, Quint is way more of like a resourceful outdoors person. So in a car ride, I'm taking Anish on an island. I'm taking Quint because I'd have a better chance of surviving. And he's, he's much tougher than Anish. So if we got, you know, attacked by some leopard or something like that, he, he, he'd go down swinging. Quint's a lot more spry. And uh, the last one, yeah. you need to bury a dead body, Anish or Quint? Oh, definitely Anish because he's from New Jersey. Um, so <laughs> it's possible he's done that before. <laughs> yeah, but he's actually, he's, he's, he's sly. He's got two, he's got two phones. So that tells you all you need to know. Like why do, why do humans have two phones? One of them is definitely a burner. Yeah. He's got a burner. Exactly. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll get, I'll wrap this up here for you. Uh, two, two more questions. First dark horse teams, like last year, Virginia and Cornell were two of my dark horse teams because you know, when you looked at their rosters, you could say, ah, either of these teams could be good enough to make noise, get themselves to a final four and 
do something. But the chances at the beginning of the season that Virginia was going to be that team, there wasn't a whole lot of people that were picking them to to win the national championship. So this year, who do you think that team that's kind of on the cusp that people aren't necessarily going to think is a favorite, but that has, you know, in your mind as as legit a shot as anybody to make it to Final Four weekend? Well, I'll go one layer back, and and I'm not necessarily – going to say this is like a final four worthy team but i think high point breaks through a little bit this year and i wouldn't be shocked if they maybe even got out of the first round of the playoffs i mean last year they had two huge wins against duke and and virginia in the regular season they were disappointed by not winning their conference so they didn't get into the ncaa tournament they won 13 games they have a ton of their scores back asher nolting's one of the better attackmen in the country um I, i think that's a team that could be dangerous the other team that I think can be dangerous, um, and you know, this is outside of the obvious, is um, is Cornell. I think I think Jeff Keith's going to rebound this year. Um, I think he's going to have a, a monster season, and I really like the Chase Erlen kid in, in goal. Uh, I, I think I, I think that he's really really mature. Um, he's tough. He's big. I like goalies like that, man. I think mentally he's got it. Those would be those would be two teams kind of that no one would really think. Um, you know, I think Cornell obviously would probably have a better chance than than say a high point, but I think you need to watch out for a high point. Um, Cornell is is going to be dangerous. And the other team um, that I think the expectations should be no less than Final Four is Syracuse. If Syracuse doesn't make a Final Four this year, it's going to be a major disappointment. They have they have the horses. They they have the deepest midfield in the country. Um, proven goalie, shut down defender and Mellon. Um, like you said, watching that attack, they all kind of complement each other. If you're a Syracuse fan, you you should fully expect the team to make it to a final four this year. I I do, and and with that attack too. I mean, they're you could almost call them a little unproven uh, defensively. They didn't lose a whole lot, not anything that you couldn't replace. So I, I, I agree, Syracuse. It will break my heart if they if they don't make it back. And um, and then who would who would your favorite be? Like obviously, this is going to be a kind of a no brainer. You got the Penn States and the Yales of the world. But if you just had to pick, like today, I just you know this team is definitely going to be there, and they're my favorite to win the the whole thing. Uh, who who would that team be for you? Penn State. You know, I, I think Penn State was a, was a program prior to last year never won a playoff game in the history of their school. I mean, that's crazy, right? It you was think about bonkers. It, ne- ne- never won a playoff game. So everything was kind of a first for them. Is is as, as much talent as they had and as much success as they had, um, it was uncharted territory. You know, highest scoring team in the country. They're all back. I think nine of their top ten scores are back. Uh, the one guy they lost was Nick Splain, and they get a kid, Kevin Hill, who's injured, who's as good as Nick Splain, who redshirted last year. So, I mean, that, that's a wash. And add another year of experience, that whole group of nine or ten guys is better, right? So you have the best passer in the country. You have the best shooter in the country. You have a four-year starter in goal. Um, you know, if they could figure out face-offs in big games, and Gerard Rosari statistically has – has had a really good career just against top faceoff guys. He struggled sometimes. Yep. I just think their, their experience of getting to the final four a year ago um, and, and tasting it, but also being disappointed. I, I think Penn state should win it all. 
And TD Erlen is just their kryptonite. Like, especially I think coming this upcoming season too, because the only place where they've lost anybody of note really is on the defensive side of the ball. So if, if they can't win faceoffs against teams like Yale or against other, you know, top tier faceoff men, that maybe it looks a little bit differently. And I had actually picked uh, Kenise as my goalie of the year last year, thinking that uh, coming out as a junior, that he was going to tear it up because he had a really good sophomore year. So I feel like he would almost feel, I don't know if it was that he had a down year or it was just kind of the way it rolled when, when you have a, a high flying offense like that, it tends to put a little bit of strain on your defense as well. Yeah, it does for sure. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta be willing to to kind of look the other way. If you're a coach, if you want to play that style and, you know, take that many shots and shoot that much and score, you know, it's going to put an extra pressure on your defense, but, but I'm, I'm a believer in that kid. I think, you know, Last year was crazy, man. They, would they go down 12-1 with TD Erlen just like ripping through and mowing those guys on faceoffs? And then didn't they make it to like 12-9 at half or something? It was 10-1 I thought it was, and then at half it was 12-9. Yep, I thought it was done. And they did battle back. They they battled back as much as you could have expected expected them to, especially as dejected as they had to be after that start for them to come back was surprising. Yes. And my final question, I swear to you this time, when Dino Babers violated Quint with the Syracuse hat, I still have, I've heard you guys yeah. talk about it, but I've never heard officially. Did he know what he was doing to Quint in that moment when he put that hat on him? Or was that just uh, the right place at the right time? Or from Quint's perspective, wrong place at the wrong time? Or are you not sure? Both. Like I'm not positive, but I'd venture to say like when you're in these production meetings, you spend a couple of days with the programs, you know, down at their practices and stuff. A lot of times that stuff's leaked. I, I look, I mean, some Hopkins people were like upset. What's Quint supposed to do in that spot? Like, that's like if Petro gave me a Hopkins hat and put it on my head. I mean, big deal. I mean, yep. like a lot of people went nuts over it. And um, it was the moment too. You know, it's a big moment for Q's winning that game, obviously in the bowl. And, and I think, I think he handled it. I think he handled it perfectly. His, his Hopkins um, alumni friends weren't thrilled, I'll tell you that much. Right, but I agree with you. What the hell were you going to do in that moment? I thought yeah. he handled it perfectly. Don't, and don't I, put that hat on me. <laughs> and and the lacrosse world, like it, nobody in the football world had any idea why we were all laughing our asses off at the at the yeah. end of that game because living that was a classic living, moment. Living a little cocoon, right? The lacrosse cocoon. And that's it. That is the interview. If you enjoyed this, please share it with your friends. Like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. If you want to get some Lax Factor swag or just T-shirts in general, go to laxfactor.com. And you can also listen to the audio version of this podcast by following the link to the blog post that accompanies this uh, this podcast on our website. And you can find the audio version there. As always, thank you for listening. Enjoy. Enjoy.